0: Scientific discovery and technological advancement today is deeply rooted in every facet of our existence as humanity. It- what
1: I'm going to do for the panel is, as I pose questions to each of the members, I would then ask them to introduce themselves as well. So I, I, think, I think for us to get into it, it's, you know, CBDCs have become, and stablecoins have become quite a hot topic with monetary authorities and financial institutions across the world. We we saw the first synthetic CBDC come out of Barbados, the first official CBDC launch out of uh, Bahamas, and since that period, uh, it hasn't stopped. We've seen the likes of of Tether in the very early days. Um, We've seen some new stablecoins like USDC and Circle, uh, Paxos, and a few other key areas uh, where where, uh, central bank digital currencies and stablecoins have given rise. So I, I think my first question, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, target this to, to William, is uh, can CBDCs and stable coins coexist?
0: Yeah, hopefully you can hear me. Can CBDCs and stable coins coexist? I think uh, so, not only... Sorry, William, can you, can you introduce yourself for the oh, audience? Oh, sure. So I'm uh, William Quigley. I co-founded uh, Tether, which was the first stable coin and, uh, and remains the largest stable coin with about $30 trillion annually uh, traded. It's actually the most traded crypto on Earth. 50% of all Bitcoin trading pairs are, are paired with, uh, with, with, with Tether. So it's actually been quite successful. Uh, but to your question, can CBDCs and stablecoins coexist? Uh, I would say not only can they coexist, but they will exist whether or not any of the G20 want to or not, because uh, uh, while you do have things like Tether, and Tether of course is backed by a dollar or dollar equivalent for every token, uh, you also have algorithmic stable coins, which are all on chain, backed either by a piece of collateral, like a, a, a crypto, or uh, some algorithm that manages supply and demand. So uh, they will coexist, and I suspect uh, for different purposes, you'll have different people using them. Big banks, big financial institutions, of course, are going to promote the CBDC. And I suspect a lot of people who are not either, either unbanked or are not in the United States or maybe Western Europe, they will probably prefer to use either algorithmics or uh, traditional stablecoins that are backed one-to-one with some sort of dollar, dollar equivalent.
1: Thank, thank you for that. Now, uh, what I find interesting is that uh, we're obviously seeing a lot of a lot of uh, characters in the market trying to say that central bank digital currencies are coming to eliminate things like stablecoins and cryptocurrencies. But the, the reality of it is, as you as you rightfully mentioned, the two can very well o- coexist. They are already coexisting, and they will continue to coexist. But uh, Richmond, do you see any differences in use cases between stablecoins and CBDCs?
2: And and can you introduce yourself? Sure, Uh, Sure. Uh, thanks for that, Gabe. Um, uh, My name is Richmond Teo. I'm the co-founder of a company called Paxos. Uh, We're regulated in the United States uh, federally by the OCC uh by the new york department of financial services uh, as well as by the singapore monetary authority and, and um we have, we have a couple of business lines uh one of them is uh stablecoin issuance um and we have about 20 over billion in stable coins issued uh outstanding to date um you know i think first off when we think about the differences between stablecoins, there, there are quite a few stablecoins out there. Many of them have different purposes, and many of them are also backed by, a different, by different assets. Um, several stablecoins in the space have produced reports uh, establishing what they are backed by. Uh, the unique thing about Paxos-issued stablecoins is that the product itself is also specifically regulated by the NYDFS which means they determine what the reserves can be, and they ensure that we are keeping to that uh, uh, those regulations. So at Paxos, our stable coins entirely in cash, or U.S. government treasuries. Uh, we are not allowed to take any credit risk from any institution. So when we think about uh, the difference between us and a direct government-issued stablecoin, uh, in terms of credibility and backing, Uh, it's essentially the same because these are the standardized rules and we are holding no credit risk from any bank or corporation. Uh, We are only holding U.S. government risk, uh, which would Essentially be similar to CBDC. And we're seeing a lot of institutions now uh, come, to, uh, come to us to issue their own stable coins. Uh, one example is Binance's BUSD, where they where BUSD helps build a community, there are various marketing purposes and their advantages uh, to using BUSD within the Binance ecosystem. Uh, and that's advantageous and provides uh, several ways that companies can basically develop that market.
1: That's interesting, because what I'm hearing uh, is that the key difference between a stablecoin and a CBDC is who's issuing it. And in one case, you have a monetary authority or a central bank, and that's in the case of a CBDC. But in the other case, you have a financial institution that falls under the regulatory regime of a financial regulator. Uh, Which then leads to the next question. Bjorn, after introducing yourself, what are some of the key things that you think regulators, whether they be a central bank or a monetary authority, should take on or should uh, begin looking at before they regulate, accept, and, and allow these types of technologies to exist within their environment?
3: Ooh, that's a tough one. So I'm Bjorn Anderson. I'm uh, with you from Banking Circle. Nice to be here. We are a fully licensed bank in Luxembourg. We got our license in 2019. So I represent kind of the old world and the fiat side. Um, We are a B2B bank servicing the big PSPs players. Uh, We process around 10 million uh, cross-border payments a month, and we move around 250 billion euro a year. So it's quite massive for our our large clients like Stripe, Payoneer, and, and so forth. And we, of course, have here, I'm also on the board of a layer one blockchain called Concordium. So I'm an early believer, early adopter of, of that space. And to your question, I think that the regulators are, are with the CBDCs, they're trying to kind of catch up. Uh, they're trying to maybe, if, if you have a negative view, they're trying to replace what we have today with the central bank and the banks with just e-money, right? And we, have, we know e-money, that has been around for years. And for domestic payments, I don't really see a, 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 a very big use case for CBDCs, except that it could be a very good um, tool for mass, mass adoption to crypto. I think CBDCs could be that. But, for, but on the regulatory side, I think regulators, they should and they will become to love blockchains. And some of them already do, right? Because with, with chain analysis, with the tools that are out there, you can, you can detect, you can trace stuff that you haven't been able to in the fiat world. So I think that's a massive movement already. Uh, so, but it, it, it quickly devolves into an, 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 a discussion around private, public ledgers, uh, centrally governed, centrally controlled, versus the whole idea of a consensus-driven community, which I like. I think you
1: said one of the most interesting things here, and I, I could attest to this from experience. Uh, bit.com, which, which we started, started around the same time as Tether. So you had a company trying to chase central banks to issue their national currency, and then you had a, organization, a private organization like Tether that was going the, the, the stablecoin route. And obviously you look back today, and you can see that... Um, the stablecoin route is obviously uh, the more innovative, the faster approach, while we can look back and see that monetary authorities and central banks are playing catch-up. But this leads to an interesting part of the discussion, and this goes around AML, CTF, knowing your customer. And and I, Jonathan, I think this is the perfect question for you. So so why don't you introduce yourself and then tell tell us and tell the audience, should compliance measures such as aml ctf and kyc be utilized in this new world of stable coins and central bank digital currencies
4: thanks gabe um so i'm jonathan Uh, i'm one of the co-founders of a company called Chainalysis. we provide investigation and anti-money laundering software for cryptocurrencies uh across the world including here in dubai and so what we have Seen over the years uh, in crypto, is that you can actually have this type of unprecedented transparency um, that was being spoken about. That actually you're able to monitor for the types of AML and, and CFT risks in a open and permissionless environment. And you know whether that is in Bitcoin or Ethereum, or whether those are you know stable coins that are based on those blockchains. You know, we are able to, you know, follow the money in those scenarios and actually detect, you know, different structuring um, and and really all of the different ways in which people can abuse cryptocurrencies, including stablecoins. I think when, when we're thinking about then, you know, the design of stablecoins versus the design of CBDCs, you know, there's going to be a, an interesting trade-off there between sort of how open. Can a CBDC be to cater to you know, financial inclusion while balancing sort of the problems around AMO and CFT? And actually, you know, I think we're seeing models out there of stablecoins where that trade-off is being balanced, you know, correctly. And actually, you know, there are instances where we've seen you know, successful cases investigated in stablecoins, and so that that actually will. Coexist next to what will likely be a much more restrictive regime under a CBDC.
1: So, in summary, Jonathan, what you're trying to say is don't do nefarious or illicit activity on stablecoins and central bank digital currencies because organizations like Chain Analysis can make sense of them, can find the source and the destination, and provide the right type of information to uh, the authorities to make do what they will. Uh, but I do have a question which I'll leave open for any of you to answer, which is how do you actually accomplish decentralization when you're dealing with the digitization of fiat currency? And feel free to jump at it.
0: Well, uh, you don't, right? It's uh, Decentralization is a, is a journey. It's a place you want to get to, but you'll never really get there, right? Uh, but you you can't obviously decentralize something which requires an off blockchain element that's controlled by other people and is even regulated by governments uh, having said that algorithmic stable coins uh, can be fully decentralized and fully decentralized with a caveat uh, nothing is really fully decentralized because it's on a blockchain that's There's no blockchain that will ever be fully decentralized. So you'll always have some vulnerability. But as far as what the average person cares about, so think of somebody um, that's unbanked, right, which is billions of people, and um, they don't want to put their money into the bank of the government, uh, of the country they're in, because uh, they're worried about it being seized, or they're worried about the currency being destabilized. So it's a... uh, you know stable coins are this are this unbelievable like gift from God they they allow anybody to hold native currency without ever having a bank and without ever having to convert that currency into another currency and in an eighty trillion dollar global economy about one trillion dollars every year is captured by mostly government-based entities that convert one currency to another. So a, a massive tax on cross-border commerce. So, but if you never needed to convert that currency, you could always keep it in its native form, which is where I hope this goes. You know, all of us will be able to hold yen and euros and, and, and dollars and RMB. Uh, that, is, that's a, uh, that is an impossibility today. Uh, because in order to do that, you would need to own, you would need to have bank accounts in those countries in that currency, which most people would not. And so, I see, uh, I see this as maybe the the most exciting area of of, of, of the monetary system.
1: So, uh, and, and I'm going to direct this to you, Buren. Um Based on what William just said, which in essence is. These new asset classes enable the masses to do things which previously they could not do. Um, a blessing from God is how you put it. Do we need the two-tier banking system when we are issuing stable coins and CBDCs? Or are we going to expect to see a one-tier system come to life in light of these logic-driven asset classes?
3: in in theory the answer is yes we could expect that that's that's the whole idea of i guess of decentralization that that to cut out the intermediaries and essentially in the in the end to live without banks but i think one have to be very naive to think that a government will give up their sovereign right to to control the monetary policy it's not going to happen and and the issue with to be the party killer, but the issue with private stablecoins like Tether, you don't have to ask a lot of people in the community. You get a lot sorts of input. It, how stable is the stablecoin, right? It's you know, is it audited? Is what? It, where is the backing? That's why someone put out USDC and, and a lot of other stuff, right? So I, I guess it still comes down to do you trust it, right? And 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 the mass adoption, as I see crypto, is, will need to. Require more regulation. Regulation is inevitable. An inevitable thing that will happen, and which will be good, I think most of it. Um, But but I agree with with you, William. They they will and they can and they should coexist. But you're just up against some very very fundamental issues about sovereign state controlling their own policy.
4: Yeah, I mean, I I think the the. In the end the question is about usability and about utility to the end consumer right so um, yeah there's definitely the threat of a government of saying that this shouldn't happen but there's also you know and in the coexistence world the question becomes you know how much utility can someone get from a truly independent you know stable coin And, and maybe that'll be a basket of currencies or a basket of Assets in sort of uh, the metaverse or, or some sort of uh, other economy, and I think that you know when it comes down to a you know what what this entire movement is is there's two things really happening in the crypto economy. On the one hand, you have sort of true financialization of digital assets. You have you know more complex financial instruments being built. You have you know, stable coins, and uh, you can loan cryptocurrencies, you can earn interest on cryptocurrencies. There are derivatives platforms. You're seeing sort of the real creation of, you know, a very sophisticated financial market that sits on top of cryptocurrencies. And on the other hand, you've got sort of the technology being used for actually changing industries and changing commerce from anything from gaming to... um, you know music to art and all of these places and so i think the the sort of debate on where stable coins fit within that you know actually may be dependent on some of these types of use cases and where sort of the majority of adoption really starts to take hold
2: um yeah i would add that uh <clears throat> i think you know we can also think about stable coins on a spectrum where one hand, as you mentioned, decentralization is extremely important. Freedom is extremely important. Uh, on the other hand, uh, trust and credibility is important. That's where CBDCs come in. But as Bjorn mentioned, you know, as we move forward as an industry, mass adoption is pretty important. And in order to achieve mass adoption, you know, probably some stable coins need to exist somewhere in between those two spectrums, so that uh, that governments and credibility uh, is in there where regulated institutions are comfortable pushing that product out to their users and enjoy that uh, enjoy the advantages of that technology. So I think mass adoption is probably somewhere in between that spectrum, uh, uh, and we'll start seeing that very soon. So.
1: We're facing a crossroads at this moment. Some of us come from the world of permissionless ledger technologies. Some are of the preference of permission ledger technologies. And we're starting to see central banks and organizations like yourselves move towards um, the issuance of these digital assets. And one of the key things that this industry, i.e. blockchain, has touted was a permissionless environment the inability to control, thwart, or edit what happens on the network, per se. What are your thoughts with regards to the fact that every single central bank that has endeavored to issue or who is actively issuing a central bank digital currency are using a permissioned environment? And against that backdrop of that thought, is this wise or unwise? Anyone, please.
0: Yeah, um, a central bank will never, ever, ever use an open, permissionless public blockchain. It's just never going to happen. It would be insanity. Uh, the, Why? Because it's all about control. If if you're using a blockchain, imagine you're you're using. Uh, you issue it and you make a real big mistake and you issue it on uh, on Bitcoin right um, there are sanctions going on now right so how do you get around the fact that that some fraction two three percent of the nodes that enable the distribution and the decentralization of Bitcoin are in the Russian Federation right so because you don 't control that you don 't control that blockchain so you, you can't imagine the Chinese wanting it. Uh, uh, and, and I'll just say this, uh, this is why the, the private stablecoins must exist, because I can't imagine the central bank digital currencies uh, uh, not allowing chargebacks. The concept where they can reverse a transaction. The monetary system is, is built around being able to reverse, right? So without that, Uh, Ability, I don't think a lot of businesses would be comfortable using it, and yet it is the fact that you can't reverse it, you can't reverse Tether, that makes it desirable for people maybe like me who do a lot of cross-border commerce, and formally, before I had it, I redlined 40% of the world because I couldn't trust whether or not those were stolen credit cards.
1: But we do already have such a system, it's called cash, uh, the M0 of the money supply
0: cash, chain. Cash? What do you mean? Cash? I, I, there's no way for me to instantly transfer cash, if you mean the physical kind me, that goes I mean, into a wallet? I mean physical
1: coinage and notes, and, yeah, and now we're work, seeing right? an you advent. Need,
0: you need it at a minimum, it needs to be digitized, right? So that, you don't literally mean cash, right? You mean you, right? I, I literally mean oh.
1: I literally mean right. cash. It right. functions in society right now as a but means of settlement. But that doesn't work settlement. for cross-border commerce. It doesn't. So, so when given the opportunity to create a digital counterpart representing M0 and M1, why would the opportunity not be taken to do it on a permissionless ledger?
0: As I said, it, it, it won't happen because if you read any of the white papers from any of these countries, what they need it, it, it not just implies it necessitates a private chain, just the way they need to control it. They want to control. Imagine you're talking to, to, uh, uh, to China. I mean, really, they're going to allow like, nodes around the world to, to keep copies of their ledger and manage it? I, I don't think it's practical.
4: Yeah, I, th- I think um, yeah, it's a question of it's a question of timeline, right? So if you think about it, you know, we're we're super early in the crypto space. I think to say that governments will never issue any asset on an open and permissionless ledger is not not going to be true, particularly with international competition. So there will be places in the world that do try and uh, and do it. And I think the reason for that is that you know you're already seeing this in you know, different different forms in privately issued uh, stable coins because, you know, privately issued stable coins, like the Paxos dollar, has uh, a lot of controls around it, has, you know, terms and conditions, and has a layer of permission that sits on top of the actual protocol. Like, for the actors that are engaging in activity, there are, you know, rules of the road and there are ways actually to... To enforce AML and CFT concerns, and so you know, that, um, and just seeing that you know, regulators getting comfortable with stuff like that mean that, like ultimately, you know, we could see actual countries issue um, currencies on these more open systems, particularly you know in the face of international competition between jurisdictions, and particularly within you know if we if we see sort of large competition from privately issued stablecoins as well. That being said, like, there will still be a, a, an amount of control um, and you know, guardrails put in place, but I, I'm not gonna rule out the possibility that it could take place on, on layer one.
2: Yeah, I think I'd like to add to that by saying that, you know, as we went through regulatory processes to figure out what's the best way uh, to regulate our stable coins uh, with our primary regulator for stable coins, there were a lot of practical concerns as well. Because unlike pure crypto assets, uh, you know, uh, stable coins are tokenized dollars that exist somewhere in the world. So there could be a series of things uh, not meant for control uh, that could occur that would leave dollars unowned. Uh, and it, there has to be a way to control that. For example, if someone you know, were to be hacked, someone loses something, or there were certain transactions that were nefarious, uh, or you know, they, we can't leave just assets in the bank unowned by anyone in the world. You know, there has to be a process for taking care of that. So I think there are a lot of practical concerns as well uh, with full permissionless uh, stable coins because they aren't, they aren't pure crypto. They represent an asset that exists somewhere in the world. So, I'm going to take this to a bit of a
1: last intense question. George Orwell, 1984. Uh, An Orwellian future, we all talked about control here. Central bank digital currencies and stable coins provide quite an intense and impactful way of controlling, monitoring, subjecting financial activity down from Mama Sue being able to buy a bottle of milk, all the way towards William paying one tax versus Bjorn paying another tax for buying the exact same item because maybe you are uh, from a different country. In a future where we're facing an ever-increasing amount of logic being able to be applied to financial sovereignty, what does that future look like? And are we heading to 1984 with these technologies? Floor is open. Uh,
3: yeah, if I should be in it, I guess it depends on your worldview, right? I mean, the, I think the states that, that take that approach, that, that control it that hard, they, they are just hurting their, themselves in the long run and their people. And, and, and the, 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 this, will, this will not be the outcome. But in the hands of a totalitarian state, the CBDC is a very powerful tool. Cut out all the middle layers, uh, get rid of everything, and, and just control everything by, by, following, by following it. I don't believe that's going to happen. I, I, no. This is here to stay. The regulators will. If not already, they love blockchain. That's my prediction. Because with, with the tools we have, we can, we can use it, they will coexist, CBDCs will come, they will try to catch up. The use cases, I'm a little bit doubtful for some of them, actually, because we have domestic payments, it works instantly, cross-border not yet, but we'll get there. Uh, I very much believe in the, in the, in the de- democratization blockchain can, can achieve, and, and the digitalization, owning your own assets, owning your own data. I mean, my prediction is it's going to happen, like, with Facebook. Uh, you were on Facebook in the beginning, then your kids were there, and then they moved on, right? So then they moved to Instagram, TikTok, and then uh, so this, this is uh, an evolution that's just beginning.
0: I, don't. I actually really struggle to understand uh, what a CBDC does that uh, traditional digitized currency uh, uh, doesn't do. I I actually don't think most of the central banks understand the difference between digitization and tokenization. I think they haven't wrestled with that. And for most people who uh, favor tokenization, it's because they wanna move off the dependency and uh, become more resilient to banking concerns, banking issues uh, globally. So I, I suspect it might be useful for, um, for uh, settlements between countries, maybe large corporations. I don't think it's particularly useful. Uh, uh, the CBDCs are particularly useful for, for most people today. Uh, and I think uh, looking at uh, the Russian Federation, over the next year will be very instructive for us in crypto because of course they're going to, I would, I would assume now, uh, try to issue some sort of CBDC to bypass uh, sanctions. If there was a country that was going to do it, maybe on a, uh, uh, a public blockchain, they, maybe they could try uh, to do it there because they have really not much to lose given what's happened to the ruble. Uh, but still more than likely they'll do it on their own chain. And uh, we'll, we'll see from that. I think the central banks around the world really start to understand, oh, yeah, when a CBDC is created uh, and the group that creates it is not uh, cooperating with primarily the G20, what does that mean to financial controls?
2: Um, yeah, I think that... Um to, to, to take a slightly different perspective, uh, if you think about controls, potentially in the future, what shapes the minds of people uh, you know, would be advanced versions of social media today. Metaverses, different worlds that people independently create, worlds that exist purely on crypto. Uh, and if you look at a key use uh, of stablecoins today, it bridges physical worlds, tokenized assets in the physical world uh, to future worlds, future, future metaverses and crypto-digital-only worlds. Uh, and I think that bridge will always be needed, uh, and controlling that, uh, is, controlling that is less important than thinking about uh, what else that enables, which is building a purely, truly digital future, and that link between where we live in the physical world will always be very important.
4: Yeah, I just think um, a couple of quick points. One is we, we've we proven in the sort of crypto world that you can tackle financial crime and you can really make an impact on disrupting sort of very sophisticated criminal actors and cybercrime. And, and, you know, through the work of, you know, these people um, using technology, you can actually, you know, perform the right sorts of, you know oversight over this market, and so you know they also comply with a lot of data privacy regulation. They protect their consumers' identities. They ensure that people have um, the ability to you know transact freely in those markets. But at the same time, you know there's a balance on you know what sort of visibility we can create in crypto. And I think if you look at the history, you know there's a very good balance there between sort of financial privacy and actually. The ability to tackle crime, and you know I think that that you know continues to play forward into into the world of stable coins and into the world of uh, cbdcs
1: all right <clears throat> gentlemen we're out of time uh, I encourage everyone in the audience to uh, sorry, what was that uh, I encourage everyone in the audience to take the opportunity uh <laughs> Thank you. We're Time's up. Uh, I, I take the opportunity to interact with these gentlemen. Um, you have some of the most influential people in the world uh, as it relates to stablecoins and CBDCs or the tracking thereof. Um, so I encourage the audience to interact with them and, and figure out more thereafter. Thank you very much for your time, everyone.